Go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And we will be reading the first 21 verses. Ephesians chapter 5, 1 through 21. Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. And these, as you turn there, I'm going to read to you. Good job. I'm going to read to you the words of God. And this is what God's word says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true." And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart." giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we come before you once again uh, grateful that you have given us your word, grateful that you are not uh, content to leave us in our sinfulness that you are not content to allow us to remain as we are, but you have better things for us. You desire that we would become more and more like Jesus. And so, Father, as we approach this passage, your holy and inspired word, God, I pray that you would help us to come underneath the authority of it. I pray that you would help us to cast off all other uh, ideas of authority in our lives, whether that is uh, the authority of our friends, the authority of, of culture, of uh, Lord, even of our own perception of what is good and right. Father, I pray that you would help us to lay those things aside and to say, 
Thy word is truth. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do all this and that you would glorify yourself. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Oscar Wilde was uh, an artist from a few, few centuries back, and he once said this phrase, that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Now, many of you have heard that quote. How many of you have heard that out of curiosity? Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Did you guys know that that's not the whole quote? You guys didn't know that? Okay, let me tell you what the rest of the quote is, okay? It says this, Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery that mediocrity can pay to greatness, okay? So what he's saying there is imitation is the sincerest form of flattery that someone who's mediocre can do. Basically, he's saying if you can't be original, then you're kind of mediocre at best, and the, the only thing that you can do is copy someone else who is great, Okay, that's the idea that he, is, uh, that he is kind of trying to convey there. And that is kind of the spirit of the age that we live in. Uh, we live in this age of innovation, of, of throwing off uh, maybe social norms, throwing off uh, things that are deemed to be oppressive, like, uh, like binary gender, male, female, um, like traditional sexual ethics. We live in a culture that says whatever is normative, yeah, we're going to ignore that and we're just going to be, we're going to be innovators, okay? We're going to do whatever we want. That's the world in which we live. But that is not what the Apostle Paul teaches us here in this passage. The main theme of this passage and what I want you guys to take away and to be thinking about this week is this, is that walking with Jesus is about imitation and not innovation, okay? Walking with Jesus is about imitation, not innovation. It's about following the consistent pattern that has been laid out by the life of Christ and in his word rather than trying to be a trailblazer and do your own thing, okay? It's a radically countercultural message. And yet, this is what God calls us to. And that's why so often you see in scripture this concept that if you call yourself a Christian, you are uh, a sojourner. You're, you'll, if you've spent any time with TJ, you know that he likes to use the phrase pilgrim because he's like obsessed with pilgrim's progress. Uh, <laughs> maybe he'll listen to this on the, uh, the website later and hear, hear what I had to say about it. Um, but he, he loves that book, right? And, and it's really quite true. It's a good description of what it's like to be a Christian because we really are uh, a traveler in this life, in this world. And heaven is our home. And so for part of the, the journey for us as Christians is that we are not trying to be trailblazers. We're not trying to cut our own uh, path through the jungle, but rather we are seeking to find the footsteps of Jesus and walk in them. If you've ever uh, walked in, in semi-deep snow in winter, it's nice to, to see some other footprints that kind of step in them so that you don't get the snow all up in your boots and all that kind of stuff, right? But it's nice to, to follow the path that has been laid out. And in a similar way, that's what it means to be a Christian, is to look at the life of Jesus, to look at the totality of the Bible 
and say, this is the path that has been laid out. It is tried and true, and it leads to the greatest happiness that anyone will ever experience, namely, eternal and everlasting joy in the presence of the God who loves you more than you can possibly imagine and who created you for himself. And so walking with Jesus, it's not about, it's not about innovating. It's about imitating Jesus. And so uh, Paul here, he is, he's still in the middle of, uh, of the, the command portion of the letter, right? So we talked about how the first three chapters are really Paul unpacking God's amazing grace, okay? Um, talks about how that amazing grace, if you are a Christian, God's amazing grace that is poured out in your life, he began pouring that out even before he created anything when he chose you to be his child, okay? So he walks through all of that in chapter one. And then he continues talking about God's amazing grace, that it's by, it's by faith, it's by simple trusting and believing that Jesus died for your sins that, and that he rose again, that we are saved, right? It's by grace through faith, right? And then we said in chapter three that uh, Paul looked like he was ready to move on to the application portion of the letter, but he was like, nah, I gotta tell him the gospel one more time, right? And so he articulates it again in chapter three. And then finally in chapter four, he's like, okay, given all of this amazing truth, this is the kind of person that you should be in light of your faith in these truths. With me so far? Make sense? Okay. And so this week's passage is really actually a continuation of last week's. Last week, Paul kind of gave this concept of of put off the old man, put on the new man. In other words, don't do the things that you used to do before you gave your life to Jesus, but now choose to live a different way, a way that imitates Christ, a way that walks in the footsteps of Jesus. And so the question that we uh, naturally ought to be asking is if the Christian life, if, if what it means to be a Christian is about imitating Jesus, how do we do that? What does that, uh, what does that look like to imitate Jesus? And in this passage, Paul gives us three things that are uh, that kind of help flesh it out a little bit for us, that kind of help give us some example of what it looks like to imitate Jesus. The first is uh, found in verses one through seven, but it's uh, it, it, what it looks like to imitate Jesus is walking in love. Walking in love. Second thing that it looks like is it looks like walking in the light. Walking in the light. And the third thing is that it looks like walking in wisdom. So walking in love, light, and wisdom. Let's talk about that first one. What does it look like to walk in love? Look with me at verse 2. You'll notice that walk is actually a repeated word here. Uh, fun is a fun, it's a fun Greek word. It's the Greek word peripateo. Okay? And so it's kind of a fun, fun little thing. I like to say it. Um, but it, it conveys this idea of walking around. So uh, someone uh, describing the ministry of Jesus, they would say he was what is called a peripatetic preacher. Okay? Peripatetic preacher means a, pre- a traveling preacher. Okay? And so 
Paul here, he's saying, what does it look like? What it looks like to, to follow Jesus is it's a walk, right? But it's a walk in love. Look at verse two. He says, walk in love. And then he gives you a description of what that love looks like. He says, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so Paul first states these Christians are to love others in the same way that Jesus has loved them. And what's interesting about this is Paul is not saying anything new. He's not innovating here. He's actually just going back to what the Lord Jesus taught us on the night that he was betrayed. He said in the same way, when Jesus speaking to the disciples in John, I think it's John 13, he says, in the same way that I have loved you, namely by getting down on hands and knees and washing dirty, stinky feet, in the same way that I have loved you, you ought to love one another. But that, even that, that willingness to serve and to, to not regard what other people are thinking about him as he is performing this, uh, this, this duty that is really uh, kind of for low man on the totem pole, he actually, uh, Jesus uh, takes it e- even further and he says the, the standard to which he was willing to love is that he was willing to give up even his own life so that we could live, so that all of his people could be rescued from the power of sin and brought into the family of God. And so, obviously, you and I, as Christians, we're not going to die for the sins of God's people, right? We're not going to die for the sins of the world. And so, what it looks like for us in a very practical sense is it looks like we should be willing to sacrifice our desires, should be willing to sacrifice the things that we want in order to show love to somebody else. And this is actually confirmed by the reality that if you look a little bit further in verse three, he says, sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Now, what those sins have in common, sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness, the focus of all of them is on the self. If you are a sexually immoral person, if you are sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend, that is because you do not, in that moment, desire to honor the Lord and to follow his will, but rather you desire to follow your own will. And so in a very real sense, saying no to sin, right, self-denial, as Jesus teaches us, is one practical way that we imitate Jesus, that we walk in love. Uh, Very practically, what that can look like, it doesn't have to just be in the realm of, you know, sexual sin, but even just thinking about, about it in this way, Think it, it's really just getting beyond your own, uh, your own little world and beginning to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and ask, what would make them happy? Like uh, your dad comes home after a long day of work. It's, uh, you know, he, his boss yelled at him. You know, it's just been a rough day. And rather than having your dad uh, mow the lawn, you say, dad, go sit on the couch. I'm going to mow the lawn for you. 
right? Or uh, your mom comes home uh, from, you know, long day of work or long day out with your siblings who are, you know, annoying, um, right? <laughs> and, and she just feels overwhelmed. And what it looks like to sacrificially love in that moment is say, mom, you, you put your feet up. I, I'm going to cook dinner. That's what it looks like. It may not be a good dinner, <laughs> but, but it might be cereal and toast. But, but it, this is what it looks like, because it looks like to sacrifice in that moment your time. Maybe what you want to be doing is watching you know, the next thing of Stranger Things, or maybe you want to be uh, playing a video game in that moment. You sacrifice that. You put that desire to death, and you say, I'm going to put someone else before me. This is the the concept of what it looks like to love sacrificially. Recently, I've been thinking through some outcomes of what I would love to see in you guys as students by the time you graduate, and this is what I want to see. I want to see you loving sacrificially. I want to see you stepping outside of your own little world and think about somebody else. Not saying that you guys are selfish. I'm saying that this should be a a habit that I would love to see us form is uh, rather than me thinking about what I want in that moment, I'm thinking about Jack, what, what is good for him right now? You know, what, would, it, would it bless him if I brought him a coffee? Or uh, if Jack is sad, would it, uh, would it help him if I go over to his house and hang out and we watch uh, all nine Star Wars movies? Um, that, you know? That, that right <laughs> Maybe not the last three because they're... <laughs> but at least one, one through six. Um, right? So, so beginning to step outside those, those typical me-centered thoughts and say... What's good for this other person that I go to church with? What's good for this other person that in my family who maybe is just having a rough day? I think about, spoiler alert, I think about Iron Man in uh, the, is it Endgame? I think it's Endgame. And think about the, the thing that he has in that moment. He's got, he's got the dream life, right? He's got his wife. He's got a baby girl. He, I haven't thought about that till now. Um, can't imagine <laughs> sacrificing that, right? But um, he's got his beautiful daughter, and in that moment, he sacrifices himself, right? You know, uh, Thanos was like, "I am inevitable," and then, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, and then uh, Tony Stark's like, "And I am Iron Man," and in a moment, he sacrifices his life so that he can save the world. He puts aside the thing that he desires. If you guys have seen the movie, you know that he actually wrestled with it. He's like, hey, I got a good. I got a wife. I got a kid. You know, life is good. I'm not going to sacrifice this to, I'm not going to mess this up so that, you know, you, so that a bunch of people can come back, right? But in the moment, he chooses self-sacrifice. He chooses love so that others, so that the world might be saved. So my question for us is, as we're thinking about this, are we regularly trying to put others before ourselves? Is that, is that a, a thought pattern that is, is normative in your life? Are you regularly thinking, what would be good for my mom right now? Certainly not me being uh, uh, you know, a smart mouth, right? That's not good for my mom in that moment, but rather, what, is, what, would, what would make her happy? What would make, what would bless her? What would make her have a better day? 
Same thing for your siblings. I know that I know that's hard. I had two older brothers, right? But so in that in those moments when you just want to just give them a good smack, ask the question, what would be good for them? Would it be good? No, that was not aimed at you guys. I just realized. <laughs> uh, but um, you know, are we regularly putting ourselves in the other person's shoes and saying? What do they need in this moment? How can I sacrifice what I want to show this person that I love them? So walking in love is the first way that we imitate Jesus. And this is, this is where the gospel comes into it because once again, Jesus sacrificed his own life so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins and brought into the family of God and spend eternity in the presence of God in ever increasing joy and happiness in the presence of the God who loves us and who made us for himself. So Jesus is our is our example and the gospel teaches us how to love in this way. But not only should we be walking in love, the next thing he says is we should be walking in the Light. Look at verse 8 there. He says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. There's that word walk again. It's the same, same Greek word there. But Paul, now he begins to explain a little bit more. And he says that these Christians, they ought not to be living like everybody else, right? If you back up to uh, verse 7, he says, Therefore do not become partners with them, that is, the people who practice the immorality, uh, the people who are living a lifestyle that will ultimately get them condemned to hell. Don't be partners with them, but rather live in the light. And so the question then is, what does it mean to live in the light? It seems like a kind of a, a, vague, a vague concept. Well, I think about this. Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. I think about this. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so what Paul is doing here is he's encouraging these Christians to look to Christ, to look to God's word and Christ and his word reveal, if you look at verse 10, he says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. How do you know what is pleasing to the Lord? It's in his word. He tells you what is pleasing to him in the Bible. I think about, uh, this might be TMI, but uh, how many of you, when you wake up in the middle of the night, you really don't want to turn the lights on, right? If you got to use the bathroom, like, it's like, you don't want to turn the lights on because you want to still kind of stay asleep, you know, but no. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I have like ran into things or like stubbed my toe on stuff because I am unwilling to turn on the light what in that moment. What does your wife think about it? Oh, she's dead asleep at that point. <laughs> oh, okay, <good>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, she doesn't, she, does, she doesn't, she doesn't wake up when I'm, when I'm running into things uh, in the middle of the night. <laughs> I, I, turn on, I turn on my, my flashlight on my phone and just yeah, that's too much work. I just, I'd rather stumble around, right? Uh, <laughs> and so, so if you don't turn on the light, 
in that moment, I guess I'm the only, the only uh, person in this room who, like who doesn't that, do that, right? Uh, but if you don't turn on the light, yeah. you're going to run into things, right? It's just kind of, it's inevitable at that point. Um, yeah, but if I'm awake, I'm awake. <laughs> <laughs> and so similarly, what it looks like to walk in the light is it means uh, that we turn on the light of God's word, that we allow it to illuminate our path because it's through the word of God that we learn that which pleases God. And so if you're a Christian, the Bible is kind of, it's the ultimate light source but if I can mix my metaphors here, it's, a, it's the ultimate compass, okay? It's the ultimate compass for your life. It tells you what direction you ought to be going. And if you're sitting here and you are not a Christian, then generally speaking, you're gonna be following your own heart. And your own heart is a broken compass. Your heart does not point you true north like a real compass does. What your heart points you to is hell. That is the direction that our hearts lead us. Our hearts are desperately wicked. And so we need the light of God's word. We need the the compass of God's word to direct our path. So my question for you is, if you are a Christian, or even if you're not a Christian in this moment, are you seeking to let the light of God's word shine in every part of your life and to tell you how to live in every area of your life? Are you seeking, actively seeking, to let God's word inform the potential dating relationships, inform how you treat your friends, inform how you treat your family, inform even how you interact with non-believers because God's word is the ultimate standard. It is what teaches us how to live in every area of our lives. But typically, what we like to do is we like to say, Jesus, you can have most of my life, but I'm gonna take this one little area and I'm gonna leave it in the dark. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be king in my dark little corner of this, of this part of my life, and and sit there, and and we don't surrender that to him, and that's not what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is that Jesus Christ is your king, and he is sovereign and authoritative over every area of your life. That's what it means to be a Christian, and that's what it looks like to imitate Jesus. When you think about the life of Christ, when you think about what he said about his, his uh, mission here, he says that uh, everything that you see me doing is exactly what the Father has told me to do. In fact, uh, when the disciples thought that Jesus was hungry, the, the, I love Jesus' response. The, he, says, he says, I have food that you know nothing about. And the disciples are like, did someone bring him a snack that we didn't know about? What is he talking about? Food. I don't know why I'm trying to do the, uh, that, what's that weird, that weird comedian guy? Jim Gaffigan. Uh, Jim Gaffigan. Yeah, I don't know why I'm trying to do that. But, but they're, asking the, <laughs> they're asking the question, did someone bring him a snack that we didn't know about? And Jesus says, he says this, he says, you know what is my food? My food, that which gives me life, is to do the will of my Father. 
Can we say that about ourselves? Can you say that it gives you life to do the will of your Father, your Heavenly Father, in every area of your lives? My guess is that your answer to that question is no. If you're a human and you are a sinner, guess what? You are. And this is once again where the gospel comes in and, and, it, and it lifts us up because we see that Christ is the only one who perfectly fulfills this. Jesus is the only one who truly walks in the light and is himself the light. And so he paid the penalty for those, for those moments when we walk in darkness, when we choose to not let God have control over that area of our lives. Jesus Christ died for that thing that you are holding on to, for that sin that you keep secret. But not only that, he rose again from the grave to assure you that if you will repent of your sin, if you'll give that area of your life over that you've been hoarding to yourself, if you'll give that to him, you'll be forgiven of those sins. Gospel is amazing. And so walking in love, walking in the light. And lastly, uh, this passage calls us to walk in wisdom, okay? Look at verse 16 there. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so Paul, once again, is continuing to encourage these Christians to imitate Jesus by walking wisely. And what's interesting is that uh, the definition of this wisdom here in this section is actually it's twofold. It's making the best use of the time that God has given you and also to discover God's will for your life. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And what's interesting about this is this is actually very closely related to our previous point because How do you know what is wise? How do you know what is God's will? Once again, you come back to God's word. You come back to the scriptures because the scriptures teach us how to live wisely. The scriptures teach us what God's will for our lives is. In Christ and in his word, we find true wisdom. And in them, we see how God desires for us to live. Now, typically, when we think of someone who is wise, we think of, uh, I think of like Master Ugwe from Kung Fu Panda, right? Who Master Shifu is coming to him and he's like got these issues. And, and so he comes to this wise old turtle, right? And he, he's asking him questions because he, he knows that this guy is wise, right? He, he has the answers to the questions of life, right? Answers like yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. But today is a gift. And that is why it is called the present. Right? Love that, love that quote. Uh, you know, um, not saying, I haven't analyzed it theologically. Uh, so, you know, if, it, if there is some heresy in there, I apologize. Uh, but it, that's typically what we think of when we think about wisdom, right? We think about these people who know what they ought to do at every moment. And maybe you have someone who in your life you, you think is wise and you go to them, right? 
But what is wisdom? What does, what does it mean to have wisdom? Very simply, wisdom is knowledge applied. Okay, so wisdom is the capacity for us to apply the knowledge that we have in a way that is right. But if you are not in God's word, you won't be wise. Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Paul, in another letter to the Corinthians, he says, but, those who are, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so if you're a Christian and you're seeking to know what the best use of your time is, whether you're at school or at home, whether you're with, out with your friends, if you're seeking to know what the best use of your time is, get in God's word. God's word will reveal to you a wise way to live, will reveal to you God's way to live. If you are seeking to know what God's will for your life is, get in God's word. God will reveal to you what his will for your life is. And if you are not a Christian in this moment, I would encourage you, do not be unwise. Give your life to Christ. Forsake the foolishness of living life apart from his rule and reign. Give your life to him and then devote your life to following him and imitating him. And if you are a Christian, here's some questions for you to be thinking about. Are you seeking to live wisely? Do you try to make the best use of your time at home or at school or in those moments when you are alone and nobody else is watching? Are you seeking to live wisely? Are you seeking to follow Jesus even uh, in those moments when you are all by yourself and you think nobody else is watching? Or... Maybe you're the kind of person who, whether you're at home or school or even in those moments when you're by yourself, you're not thinking about what it looks like to live a wise life. You're just thinking about what you want. You're just thinking about what, you, what might be best for you in that moment. But God calls us to a different life. God calls us to walk in wisdom And once again, this is where the gospel comes in because you and I, we make so many unwise decisions throughout the day. Can't tell you how many times I've said something and I'm just like, oh my gosh, why did I say that? Shouldn't have said that. That wasn't helpful, right? Especially when you're really tired, you have a newborn baby at home, you say things that are stupid sometimes. Gosh, I can't tell you how many times I've had to be like, Lindsay, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) The reality is that we live not very wise many times throughout the day. And this is where the gospel comes in once again because we have a savior, Jesus Christ, who at every single moment has always lived wisely, has always lived 
perfectly in accordance with God's will and God's word. And he lived that way because he knew that you and I are unwise. He knew that you and I would fall short of God's expectation for us. But not only did he live wisely, he also died in our place for those moments when we're dumb, for those moments when we choose to be foolish, we choose to disobey God. And once again, he rose so that you and I can know that after you've messed up, after you have been a fool, that God will forgive you if you turn from your sins and you come back to Jesus. You will be forgiven. And so we'll close with this. We noted at the beginning that Oscar Wilde, he said that, uh, it's kind of a rude quote now after I had looked into it, but he said that, that imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. And we think, when we think about the purpose of the Christian life and we think about how we want to display our love for Jesus, would there not be, uh, would it not be the best display of love for him, the, the highest uh, sign of our affection to say, you are so perfect, you are so holy, you are so loving, you are everything that I'm not and everything that I should be. I ought to live every moment seeking to walk in your footsteps seeking to imitate you with everything that I am. And that's what it means to live the Christian life, honestly. It's about imitating Jesus and not trying to innovate. It's about walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And so my prayer for us as we close and go into uh, a brief small group time is that we would seek to imitate Jesus. Let's pray.